We are Guys in Shorts, your weekly podcast for all things sports, entertainment, and pop culture. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, be sure to follow us at Guys in Shorts Pod. And if you haven't already done so, please take a quick minute to subscribe to the show and give us a review. We would certainly appreciate it. If you do both, Ben will give you a ride in his new 2020 Corvette. Uh, I don't know if it'll be 2020, oh. but... Uh... Come I'll, on, I'll tell you what, when I get the Corvette, we can make that we can yes. make that a thing. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, on the show this week, we're talking about rivalries. What makes a good one? Why there aren't many great ones anymore? And some of our favorites of the past. Also, back in the day, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar dominated everyone in his path with his unstoppable skyhook. Why has no one ever really attempted it since? Plus... Big Brother is watching your porn, and Costa Rica has an alcohol problem. <laughs> That's a show right yeah, there. Yeah, yes it is. I love it. Let's pod. I'm Jeff Wilson, and that is Ben Garcia. Hoopty hoo. Yes. And, uh, nope, there's nobody else here. Yeah, that's it's it. just you and I. Remember last week when we said that, you know, we do all the heavy lifting on this podcast? <laughs> there right. you go. There it is. There it is. That's, that is about it. Yeah, so it's going to be a 30-minute podcast today. I, it's going to be short. Really? I don't know. I doubt <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I got my timer on. We'll see how it goes. I, I, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. All but, right. But that's good of you to try. Yeah. Where to start? I'm thinking in light of the, uh, we got the Dodger Angel game going on, yes. which at the moment is not a rivalry. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not really a rivalry. Um, but uh, Angels are up 3-2 on the Dodgers. This tonight could be a sweep of the series this season. Yep. I don't know why you guys just we take struggle sh- with we us. We take shits when we play the regular you guys. season. If you literally played the Dodgers 162-game season, you'd have the best record in the majors. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's I – was, I was talking to my buddy at work today who's a huge Dodger fan. And I, I asked him, I go, is it – when Roberts sees the Angels, does he just not care? Does he just rest players? You know, does he change rotations? Does does he set up the Angels to pitch against our three, four, and five starters? Like, what is it? Yeah. But every time we play the Angels, it's like we lay an egg. We don't bring the energy. Uh, now, great, to, truth be told, the last couple games, or I think was it yesterday, it yeah. ended on that throw at home. Right. So you know there have been some great plays that the Angels have made. Uh, you know, with the Dodgers forcing the issue, but but at the same time, it's. You can't explain the fact that the Dodgers are the best team, have the best record in Major League Baseball, yet they can't beat the Cellar Dweller Angels. I, who who hey, knows? Hey, 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 hey. Watch that Cellar Dweller stuff. Are you we, guys not in the bottom? We are not in the bottom. Oh. We've been doing all right. Congratulations. Actually, since our horrific start, I think we started like 6-19 and 19 or something. We've actually played well over 500 ball. Okay. I think like... Well, I know. I've related. Like you guys have played super and well something. since uh, Tyler Skaggs. Yeah, back. since... Yeah. They've they've gone on a tear. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 above five hundred by several games, and I think we're like four games out of the second wild card spot or something like that. So there's still a chance, Ben. You know, hey, that's all you can ask for at this point in the yeah. season. We're we're at the door of the cellar, maybe a few steps down, but okay. we're not all the way in the cellar. Okay. And I think uh, we'll keep Col- playing the Dodgers. You guys will. You guys I know, will move right? up into the wild card quick. I think. Uh, Pujols may have shared the secret sauce of how to dominate the Dodgers with Cole Calhoun because he has been just going off. I think he had a home run and a double last night, okay. and he's had a home run and I think a double also tonight. So it's good to see. It's good to see somebody 
Go after those guys. Yeah. I love it. I hate it. Yeah, well, too bad. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, in light of that, even though that's not necessarily a, a rivalry that everyone gets excited about, right. let's, let's talk about rivalries. Let's do it. So you have made the statement several times on this show that, that you appreciate a good rivalry. I love, I thought, I love rivalry. I thought I like, this would be a good topic yeah. for you and I because yes. we don't have the other guys. You don't have the other guys to rival you. Or to interrupt to, me while I'm speaking. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Watch out, listeners. That's right. But what, what to you makes a good rivalry? Well, let's, uh, I'll, I'll say it from, from the sports standpoint. Okay. And, and that is two teams or two individuals that have equal talent and that on any given day can beat each other. Yeah. So it's, it's McEnroe, it's Agassi, it's Lakers, Celtics, it's Yankees, Red Sox. It's the unknown of who's going to bring it the next time that they see each other. And, and when you create a rivalry like that, it's, you know, Magic and, uh, there was a special of Magic and Bird back on HBO. This was probably five or ten years ago now. But when Magic contracted HIV and announced it to the world, Larry Bird actually said that that's the first time that he stopped looking at the newspaper to see how Magic was doing on the other side of the coast. Because remember, this was before the internet. This was before all information was flowing on Twitter. Sure. So the only way that they were able to know how the other was doing was to read the box score of games from the night before. And so Larry Bird measured himself and he essentially did everything in his power while he was practicing and preparing so that when he would face magic later on in the season that he would be ready and he would be at his best and so the way he motivated himself was to look at what magic was doing look at what the lakers were doing and so to me when you have a rivalry it it really breeds intensity in that yes. relationship it, and it, it almost elevates you absolutely to, to push harder than you usually do and, and i don't further. think that magic would be and would have the lure that he has if bird did not play at the same time now, yeah. now jordan didn't have a contemporary you know I, the the one person that you could probably say was his nemesis was carl malone and john stockton but in reality, that was never the case because those guys could never beat Michael in the biggest stage. Yeah. And so even though they saw them twice in the finals, they never won. And, and, and there was never anybody to directly challenge Michael yeah. for that throne. And now, now, Michael was a great individual player, but I, I can't identify who his rival would have been. And, but to me, the league, the NBA was the greatest when, when you have those type of rivalries. And, and, and you may not have... A, you know, a long-lasting rivalry. I'll give another example uh, with the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings in the uh, oh sure yeah in the early two thousands. Oh, that was fun while it lasted. They were never rivals. Yeah. Before that. Yep. And after that four-year window, they have not been rivals since. Yep. But during that four-year window, when when uh, Phil Jackson is ringing the cowbell, or I'm sorry, when he says that that's Cowtown and they're ringing the cowbell. <laughs> And, and I, there was there was at one point where that's another element, by the way, of a good rivalry is smack talk, smack talk and yeah. fighting. I mean, yeah. there was there was a preseason game yeah. where um, Doug Christie got into it with, I think, Rick Fox. And they, they had to be separated in the preseason because oh. of bad blood from the postseason before that. So that good. is what rivalry is about. It's yeah. about disliking the person that you're playing with. It's about wanting to just just throw the ball you know in, in the yes. net and knock them down while you're doing and, it and and you can tell i mean in vlade's face when mm -hmm. he dishes the ball out to oh, yeah. robert ori on accident <laughs> yes for for arguably the greatest shot ever yeah and and in the 
post show pre- or post game press conference right. he, the, just the look of defeat and he's so pissed right. to even be there even be talking about it absolutely this wasn't just another game right I'm, I'm, and so for me I think that rivalry really amplifies greatness when you think about Tiger yeah. he's not Tiger without Mickelson chasing him and without Sergio Garcia chasing him uh, you have uh, Nadal and uh, Federer right now who have faced each other I don't know like 10 times uh-huh. in, in, in slams and I mean, both guys are old at this point. Yet when when I see that you know they're playing each other, I have interest Makes to see who wins. And yeah. and and I think that in order to elevate a sport, in order to elevate your historical, um, uh, just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Historical place, the place in history. Sure, you have to have something to measure yourself off of. And to me, that's where rivalry really, uh, really helps you advance in that area. Yeah. Why don't we see rivalries anymore? As as you good know, as those were, I mean, all the all the examples you bring up, other than tennis, which that that kind of yeah. more fosters that. that but but even then, those guys spirit. are old. They, I mean, they're I don't know how old exactly they are, but they've got to be in their late thirties, early forties at this point. Yeah. Um, I, personally, I think it's it's just how close, how much smaller the world is now, and you know when you were playing sports. 20 years ago, before Twitter, before Facebook, before a lot of these, and maybe even 30 years ago now, because these most of yeah. these planes have been around for 20 years, you, you didn't really know who was playing on the other side. And so when you were growing up in, on the West Coast, you, you knew some of the West Coast players that were from Los Angeles, maybe from San Francisco, because you, you would play them in games. But, you know, those teams didn't travel the way they do now back east. and in the so. But the thing is, is that nowadays, if you are – a type of player. I'll use the basketball as the example. If you are an, an elite basketball player, you are already at 12 years old playing against guys from the East Coast that are elite. So by the time you make it to the NBA, six years later, now think about that. You could be playing in a tournament at 12 years old, and six years later, you will see that same player in the NBA. Wow. That is unbelievable yeah. when you think of it. So, like so these guys, you know, they remember each other, and, and they, they create friendships because, yeah, they're not maybe – direct competitors at that point but maybe they become twitter friends or they become yeah. facebook friends and then all and of a then sudden they work out together in the office yeah and all of a sudden it's like you you form this friendship and and it's like i don't want to like you well i'll tell you what i'm old school and jeff you and i have been friends for 25 30 years if we ever became opponents on a different team and and the goal was to win a championship <laughs> listen i'll like you before the game and i'll like you after the game but I'll, I'll do everything in my power to beat you in that game. Oh, and, of course. And during the season, I'm not going to be fraternizing with you. I'm not going to be texting you saying, hey, I saw your game, good game. I'm like, fuck that. I want to make sure yeah. that you know, I'm doing everything in my power to beat you. And that's just – it's a different philosophy. And, and I don't think nowadays players look at it that way. I think and, – and here's the other thing is the money is so large that I think that they look at this as like basketball and football and baseball as a business. You know, they don't look at They're it. They're not as, taking it as personally. They don't take it as personally. They're mm-hmm. looking at it as I want. We both, we all want to go out there and we want to make forty million dollars a season. We yeah. want to get two hundred and fifty million dollar contracts. As long as they get their shoe deal, and we're going to go matter. out and we're going to play our asses off and we're going to try to win. But at the end of the day, if we lose, it's it's just a game. Yeah. Where I think, you know, back in the Magic and Bird era, this was their livelihood, and they would have played for free, and they just. It was just a, it was just a different way of it was just a different philosophy, just yeah. a different way of thinking, and yeah. and we'll never ever with money the with the money the way it is, 
to me, it'll never get back to the way it was before. It'll never be as pure as it was before. Oh, well, I feel like there's a little hope with our new Lakers and Clippers. What do you think? It, could this be the rivalry that, that to, to me, we would always want to see in L.A.? Yes, it can be. So, so here's, here's the thing. What I do think is that the fan base is going to be energized about this. Clippers fans. Oh, absolutely. Clippers fans who have always felt that they were overlooked by Lakers fans, which, yep. I mean, if you were to take 100, just a sample of 100 people in Los Angeles, 92 of them would be Lakers fans, yep. 8 of them would be yeah. Clippers fans. And Maybe. I'm probably being generous. That's if you're at that. a Clipper game. Right. Yeah. So, so Clippers fans obviously have this you know, chip on their shoulder, and I think so. they're going to look at this as we're going to be able to dominate the big brothers. Where, and Lakers fans are looking at it as this is really the first time in the history of the Clipper organization that they've really ever had a team that could challenge the Lakers and their supremacy in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I think from the fan standpoint, I think there's going to be a rivalry. Now, player-wise, I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, LeBron is friends with Paul George. He's friends with Kawhi. You see them talking and talking after games. Okay. Anthony Davis is... Again, is it a business for them? I don't know. Well, to me, the first time this is going to become a rivalry is when, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of use what happened last year with the Rockets and the Lakers. You remember when Rajon Rondo was, was talking shit to Chris Paul and he spit on him? Oh, yes. Yes. The next time that they, those teams played each other, I think Rondo was actually out on injury, but people were actually marking it on their calendar like, I want to see yeah. what happens next. So I think if these two teams can get competitive, especially early in the season against each other with good records, and then, you know, let's say one's 10-2, and two, the other one's 11-1, and one, and they see each other early in the season, and it goes to a last-second shot, I think that that could create an atmosphere for the players to have a rivalry. Yeah. Fans are already going to be there. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I see with this is that George and Kawhi have signed two guaranteed years, I think, um, next year. Anthony Davis can walk, and LeBron's got three more years. So making this a long-term rivalry, who knows? Yeah. Because two years from now, this can be a completely different thing. Sure. And, and so unfortunately, I don't think you're going to ever really see a decade of two teams really going against each other. Yeah. But you might see two or three years. But but to answer your question, I do think that this could be a rivalry, at least Ooh, for the next couple of years. I love it. I think not, not necessarily that there's a huge, long history of competitiveness uh, against each other, but... But regionally, it's a natural fit for a, a rivalry. Oh, yeah. so, so you already have that. If these, if they come out and these, they have some close games, some nail biters, some oh, yeah. they go to overtime and whatever. This could naturally. I mean, it. it you it's need the must watch television. You for need anyone the shit talking element, though. Yeah, but yeah. absolutely to so, make it truly great. Yeah, it's going to need that. You need somebody to say something in the press conference that upsets the well, other team. Rondo will bring that. I when the Clippers would fire back. I don't know. Yeah, don't it wouldn't either. be Kawhi because that guy doesn't no, say shit. Is, yeah, it might be uh, what Uncle Dennis. You know what? The, it, it would the be, LeVar Ball of the Clippers. Honestly, it would probably be Patrick Beverly. I think yeah. he's he's the type that would he's he's the type to not take any shit on the court and off the court. Yeah. But he's not a big enough star, I think, for something like that really to materialize unless he said something that was really, really upsetting. Yeah. Uh I, I hope it's good. I, I do too. Hon I honestly look forward to it. Honestly, I I can't wait for this season to start. I, I can't say that. Uh, I haven't been able to say that in a probably a decade. Yeah, you know, at least for the last five years, because you knew who was going to win. It was either going to be Cleveland or Golden State, and then this year it happened to be Toronto. But 
for the first time in a long time, I feel like there are a lot of teams that have the ability to win, and it's the first time in close to a decade the Lakers have put a team together that I think if they stay healthy and things go right, they can contend at the end. Yeah. Ah, I love it. Yeah. You got any favorite rivalries? <sighs> yeah. I mean, Lakers-Celtics is the obvious yes, one. Yes, that, that is the, the obvious one. I think my, my second favorite that does not involve those two teams – and and you're probably going to ask why, but it's the Yankees Red Sox, and I'll I'll, I'll give a, you I'll give a quick Mr. story. Closet East Coast. I I do. Well, I listen. Love, I do like the Yankees. You love the grit of the East Coast. I do. I guess, or the or that that no nonsense attitude. I do. Yeah. So uh, just a quick story about that, and I think this is really what energized it. Was I was in my twenties, and this was I think in two thousand four, if I remember, when the Red Sox won their first World Series. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, in the American League Championship, they were down uh, three games to none. And in the fourth game, in like the seventh inning, they were down in that game. So they literally had a few innings, a few outs yeah. left before they were going to be swept. And uh, instead of going swimming that day, I used to go swimming a lot after work. My buddy Matt. Patani and I, we, we ended up sticking around at my house and we watched the game. We just had this feeling that something was going to happen. And uh-huh. so we ended up sticking around. We watched the whole game. The Red Sox come back and win. Now, it really didn't mean anything in, in that moment because now they're only down three games to one. Sure. No one's ever come back from a three games to zero deficit in the series like that. So we knew that it was going to happen, that they were going to lose. So what we told each other at that point was we said, okay, we're not going to go every game that they play. We're not going to go swimming. We're going to stay home and watch the game. And then they come back and they win the second game. So now it's two, you know, three to two. They come back and win three three. And it's like, holy shit! It's so going we to have game you seven. to thank for giving him that karma. I, I don't. Those no, games. it's not oh, me. How it was dare it was, you, it was Manny. It was Ortiz. It was it was Schilling. It was all the yeah, guys that were part of that team. team. But uh, when they came back to win that. And they took that Yankee mystique away. Like, that was probably one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was because of that series that to this day, anytime that those two teams play each other, I have interest in it. I mean, there was a point where Whitey Herzog was uh, a a bench coach for the New York Yankees. And uh, what's his name? Um, Pedro Martinez was on the hill for for the Red Sox. And there was a bench clearing brawl, and Whitey Herzog comes running out, and and when you know what's his name, uh, Pedro Martinez throws White, like a seventy-year-old man to the ground, you know, and it's just like yeah. this. They just didn't like each other, and and I love conflict. I love people that don't like each other. I love uncomfortableness. Yes, and so that's what that brings, and and I, I that's probably my second favorite rivalry. That's a good one. Well done. Thank you. That you uh <laughs> you. Have a lot to say when there's nobody interrupting you. Uh, yeah, and let's see what what the time is right now. We're, yeah, uh, we're over. <laughs> going into 20 minutes. That was uh, one topic down. Yeah. How about we power on to the next one with the Kareem Skyhook. Yes. Back in the day, he dominated with the Skyhook. Yeah. And I was just – actually, Mason in Ireland talked about it the other day, and I read an article that Avika Zubak is the – only player Kareem said he's the only player that actually came to him right and asked if he would help him learn the skyhook right that's that's unbelievable that that shot just dominated for as long as it did and and players aren't calling him to to help them learn it well, and you know the funny thing about that that um, shot 
is do you know why he started doing it? No. Okay, so when when Kareem was a freshman at UCLA, dunking was allowed in basketball, but he was so big and so dominant that back in that day, uh, if you were a freshman at any college, they had a freshman team and then they had the varsity team. Uh-huh. And so he was part of the UCLA freshman team that was not eligible to win an NC2A championship. And in practice, the freshman team used to regularly beat the varsity team who had won the championship the year before. Oh, wow. So that's how dominant he was. And so when he came in to actually play for varsity, the NC2A changed the rule where they took dunking away. They did not allow dunking in basketball because it would have been unfair for Kareem to play in that position. (laughs) So then Kareem decided, well, I'm taller than everybody else, and I don't necessarily have to dunk it. So because he was seven feet, two inches tall, and he was able to jump, with his arm fully extended, he didn't have to throw the ball up. He could throw the ball down, which would keep them from being able to block it because it would have been goaltending. Yeah. So that's where it originated from. So he did it out of necessity. And then once he developed that skill, it made him dominant. And it gave him the ability to play into, I think he played for 20 years in the NBA. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he came out as a four-year senior. So he's 22 and he played 20 years. So I think he retired at 42 years old, playing against guys that are half his age. And he was able to dominate even late into his career because he had the ability to throw the skyhook. Now, he didn't have the ability to jump up and throw it down. Yeah. But he was able to shoot it from 18 feet away and hook it over the extended arms of these guys that were just as tall as he was. So he developed it out of necessity, but that just goes to show you how great he was as an individual player. Ah, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. But so we don't see it anymore. Well, and I think that why is a, that? To me, there's a couple reasons. One, because it's associated with Kareem and it's, you, I don't know the best way to describe it. Other than to say he dominated with it and just nobody wants to take that away from him. That To me, that that's something. Okay. And then I think the other thing is it's just not cool. <laughs> you know, especially yeah. the way the league is developed, right? Okay. And when, you, when you think about from Jordan on, it was being able to break people off the dribble, right? We love mm-hmm. Iverson. Why? Because he was able to cross people over, have them fumble over their feet, you know, turn around, jump shot. It was... You know, guys like Jordan that could get into the lane and dunk over somebody. So the, the, the skyhook is not, is not as sexy as dunking over somebody and sure. giving them a, posterizing them. Or not as sexy as crossing them over, having the defender fall down, step back, stare at him, yeah. and then hit a three-point shot. And then with Steph Curry now changing the entire league, turning them into three-point shooters, I don't think that the league has really ever demanded that type of shot from somebody, you know, and, and I think the other thing that's changed is post play. Yep. So if you remember back in the 1980s, you know, every center, Patrick Ewing, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, even, even into the nineties, Shaquille O'Neal, it was you, you got your biggest guy, you put him in the middle back to the basket and you know, your guards would feed him in. And that's why they changed it. uh, The, the zone rule to, to man on man was so that they couldn't defend that. And you, you put the ball into the big fella, and, and he did his magic. Well, think about the game now. The one, yeah. guy, the one guy that's still in the league that used to play that way is Dwight Howard, and he has been rendered completely useless. Yeah. I mean, a, a once great three-time defending uh, a, a player of the league and MVP candidate and all this stuff, 
I mean, he's literally for the last five or six years can't keep a job because the tools that he brings to the organization are just not what, what teams are yeah. looking for. Kobe would so, tell you he's soft. He is. He is soft. <laughs> so, so I think there's a lot of elements that go yeah. to that skyhook shot not being a part of the game. But what I do love is that Zubak, who is a big guy, back to the basket, you know, fill that toolbox. You know, yeah. and it might not be utilized the way Kareem used it, which was, you know, quite often. But you can use it in spots. And if you know how to use it effectively, it's a weapon that can't be defended. Yeah. I, so I read another article on it after doing after hearing this yeah. and you actually know your basketball because kareem they asked kareem why don't we ever see the skyhook yeah. and he said pretty much the same thing not the that it's not cool part but that um they don't teach the post anymore yeah they don't it's teach just them. ditch it out and shoot a shoot three. three absolutely and so the the game has has changed, changed and and there's there's not a place for it really. right or i'm sure there is a place for it but there's, uh, you know, nobody wants to learn it because they also said they talked to some players. They talked to Mark Gasol. They actually talked to Kobe in the article. OK. And Kobe and, knew how to do it. Yeah. But he says it's a hard shot to do. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very difficult. Mark Gasol does a variation. Yes, of a he does. Hook, mm-hmm. But he says he'd never he's never tried the sky hook in an actual game yeah. because he, he doesn't know where it'd go. Yeah. It's it requires a lot of balance, mm-hmm. he said. And and, you know. Definitely, definitely a tough shot, but yeah. it just seems like someone in all this time yeah. would have taken, made the effort to learn it. I mean, Kareem is the all-time, think about these, this, this word, the all-time leading scorer in yeah. the NBA. Yeah. You know, you have Carl Malone, you've got Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, all of these, just these names that are synonymous with championships, they're synonymous with scoring and winning, and yet... It's the old guy. It's the 42-year-old with yep. a skyhook. Before the three-point shot was really a thing, Yeah, that is the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. That is absolutely amazing. It and is. you're right. How is it that this shot gives him that notoriety, yet nobody young wants to do it? It right. just it doesn't right. make sense. Well, Kobe actually uh, kind of agreed with you. I don't think he said it's not cool, but he says kids don't want to do that shot. No. Yeah. No, they want to dunk on people and yep. and shoot threes and, shoot threes. and cross them over. Those yep. those are the three things as an NBA player that get you paid. Yep. I think we'll see it one of these days. Maybe. Maybe Zubak will bring it back. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I'm on the fence of being a Clippers fan, man. Yeah. I guess they they said Andrew Bynum was one of the there's only been a few people right. that that he's taught it. Right. But they brought Kareem on to They, they did. So so when when they drafted when the Lakers drafted Andrew Bynum, he was yep. a 17-year-old 7-foot center. Mm-hmm. And Kobe was actually pissed because this was right in Kobe's window where he was winning championships and he he knew that he was in his prime and he didn't want to waste his prime. And Signing a 17-year-old that's an, a project, one that's not going to develop for three or four years. Like Kobe didn't want him. He wanted to trade him out. But what the Lakers ended up doing was they called Kareem and said, listen, we've got this kid. We think the world of him athletically. We think that you know this guy's going to be our future. We would like for you to come in. And, and what we want you to work with on him is his footwork. And, and in order to play the post correctly, you mentioned it earlier, it's about balance it's about being able to, to have the proper footwork to put yourself in the offensive position to be able to take advantage of the defender. And this is something that, that, that Kareem learned when he was working under John Wooden at UCLA and then refined it over his 20-year career. So who best to teach a guy who is the same height and young 
the same information. Yeah, and sure. so that's why they brought Kareem in. And it was almost instantaneous. I mean, I think within about a two to three year window, Andrew Bynum got himself to the point where people were talking about him being an all-star. And wow. and he was an integral part in the Lakers winning uh, one of their championships. I don't remember if it was 09 or, or 2010 because he was hurt in the other one. But uh, Kareem was definitely influential. The, the, the downside to Bynum, and I really would have loved to have seen what that career trajectory would have would have been, but he ended up having knee injury and just never was the same player after that. But, but to that point, every once in a while, he would throw that hook shot. And it was so it – was, it was nice to see another Laker, you know, yeah. being able to throw that hook shot and see Kareem on the sideline going, yeah, that's, I taught him yeah. that. It was a really cool moment, but unfortunately yeah. it didn't last long. Yeah. Right on. Good job, Ben. Hey, we did that one in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Nailing it. On All track. right. Moving along. Let's uh... – <laughs> Let's talk about, uh, I don't know if this is one of your favorite subjects or not, but uh, porn. Big Brother is watching your porn. You found an article. <laughs> I did. So as you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before is I, I don't like having devices or just having things that I, that I work on you know, day in and day out that are being monitored by other big companies. It's one of the big reasons why when my iPhone dies, I'm going to replace it with a flip phone because uh-huh. I don't like Big Brother. And so one of the things that I do <laughs> every single night before I go to bed, and, and my wife hates it, but we'll watch a couple TV shows together. And then when we go to bed, she goes to go to sleep. And then I usually lay down and I'll, I'll kind of surf through the phone you know, for like another 20 minutes or so, just, just to read some articles, put me to sleep and go to bed. And so I, I call it show research because that's when I find oh, yes, a lot of the yes, articles that I talk about that's on this podcast. Research, yeah. right. So on Yahoo, I ended up coming across an article that had the title and it says, Facebook and Google can see what porn you are watching. And this was like, I gotta, I gotta read oh, this. Oh man. So I'm just going to read you the first three paragraphs of this, of this article. And All it right. says, Facebook, Google, and Oracle Cloud are secretly tracking the porn you watch, according to a new joint study from Microsoft, Carnegie Mellon, and the University of Pennsylvania. Researchers investigated 22,484 sex sites using a handy tool called WebX-Ray. There's that many sites? No, there's more than that, but that's just what they're tracking. I I said the same thing. And this, uh, this tool exposes tracking tools funneling data back to third parties. It says, our results indicate that tracking is an endemic on pornographic websites. 93% of pages leak user information to third parties. Revelations revelations about such data represent specific threats to personal safety and autonomy in any society that policies gender and sexuality. So it goes on later to say that Google is actually the worst, that 74% of the web traffic that go to these porn websites is being monitored by Google. 74%. 74%. Wow. Uh, 24% by Oracle and 10% by Facebook. Wow. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. What do you think they're doing with that information? Well, so it goes on later to say that what they're doing with it is they're developing user profiles for you. And so if they know what, you know, like porn you like, let's say that, you know, you're into like big boob, big ass porn, then when they're doing their ads, they're going to target big breasted and large but women to these ads to go to your phone to buy whatever okay. products there. So it's, and then, I mean. So what's bad about that? They're, well, they're, you're going to get ads anyway. You may as well get ads that, that you enjoy looking at. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, you're tr- that's true. But the other thing that it says is that if an unscrupulous 
character was to purchase this third-party data, they could actually use it to, to blackmail you. So let's say that you're going to go and you want to run for office. And then uh, somebody gets this third-party data and sees that you're watching gay porn, yeah. you know, from your device between the hours of, you know, midnight and 2 a.m. You know, they could contact you and say, hey, we know you do this. We're going to tell the public or unless you don't run or mm. whatever. So, you know, data is power. And, and the thing is, is that unless you've got one of those minds that knows how you're going to manipulate this situation, you really don't know. I don't yeah. have one of those minds. You know, I don't yeah. I don't get data and go, oh, I'm, this is how I'm going to use it to take advantage <laughs> of people. But there are others out there that do. And the fact that it's being don't tracked, trust Vic. I bet Vic has that. Absolutely. Mind. But yeah. the fact that it's being tracked and that it's being sold by these third parties is that whoever gets the data can do whatever they want with it. And that's that's the part that's that's just really, really weird. Well, are you ever going to run for office? Well, I considered it until my wife told me she'd leave me if I did. <laughs> really? I did, yeah. You did? What well, were you going to run for? Well, so here's the thing, right? So <laughs> I love when we bring up a topic and and discover a gem like this. I yeah. never knew that. No, so, <laughs> okay, so there's there was a guy that used to work at my company, and he ended up running for and winning to be mayor of the city of Long Beach. And he was the mayor of the city of Long Beach years and years okay. ago. And I used to work with him. I, I knew him. And, yeah. and, and I always thought to myself that he, he had his shit together. He was a really smart guy. Uh, he was able to communicate well. And, you know, I don't, I don't remember actually what affiliation, whether he was Republican or Democrat. But, but I felt like he was the type of guy that could get people to understand what his point of view was and really be able to get an agenda going. And so I always thought to myself that, you know, if there was ever a time in my life where I wasn't working and, you know, maybe the kids were away at school and, and I needed something to fill my time, that it would be something that I would be interested. I, I, I take civic pride. I'm, I'm very yeah, American. Absolutely. I, I love this country. I love the city that I live in. I love the state of California. And if there was anything that I could do, you know, to help that, you know, be, become yes. better, then it would be something that I have in, what I would have yeah. interest in. And Plus, your ego that uh, oh, yeah. uh, an entire city voted you into office. Yeah. I mean, that, oh, it would be the be best. Unstoppable. Yeah. Well, and then, unfortunately, I think that probably this got thrown out the window when this podcast came about. Because <laughs> now there's, there's recorded evidence of, of, of shit that I say that, that's not right. But, but I, I did absolutely have interest in doing that. And then I remember after we got married, Stephanie and I, uh, something had come about where you know, I, I think I'd made mention. I was like, yeah, you know, one of these days, like if I you know, run for office or something. And she looked at me like straight out and she goes, no, you're not. She goes, if if I knew that you had any interest in that, I never would have married. You. Really? Yeah. What's, you, her, you know what what's her thing against She's it? She's a very private person. Sure. She she doesn't like. Uh, and here's the thing in politics, especially nowadays, is that it doesn't matter what side of the fence you sit on. 50 percent of the world is going to hate you. Yeah. You know, it's and true. It's, it's one of those things where it's like I would have asked myself if I was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is your love of the state of California worth losing fifty percent of the people that are going to go out and watching a movie? Yeah, because you're only going to do this for two and a half or, you know, six years or whatever it was, because he was a midterm person, and then for the rest of your life, you know, only half of those people are going to go watch you in movies. Like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, but on a municipal level, whoever hated a mayor so much that they're going to like trash them on on Twitter well, or something I'm, like that's that. true. I guess you're not as well known, but yeah, she, she just does not have any desire to do it. And like I said, I think that that bridge has been burned by half the shit I say on this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, but no, I, the, the funny thing is, is that, yeah, I absolutely did have interest. Oh, that is, that is good. Mm -hmm. That's very funny. I could see it. 
Oh, Mayor Ben Garcia. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that the person probably chattering in their, you know, in their ass right now, or their ass is puckering, is Darren because of all the stuff he watches. Yeah. You know. That- yeah. <laughs> you strike that from the record. That's right. You know. You know what's funny about the Big Brother thing is I don't. I don't have a problem with it, and maybe it's because I, I genuinely that I can think of. Yeah. Don't I don't really have skeletons yeah. or or anything to hide, and and I feel like the biggest reason that they're using it is to cater to advertising, right? You know, so they cater the ads to you. Like I search, you know, 2020 Corvette, and I get a bunch of ads for right 2020. But Corvettes. doesn't it bother you? So, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but I'll be having a conversation with guys at work. Mm-hmm. Never Google anything or never look anything up on you know, Facebook or, or whatever. And just the fact that you talk about it and then the next day you get ads for it. So it tells you that they're but, listening to your conversation. But like so that's, what? That bo- it just bothers me. You, you know what? I, I get it. Like we have Alexa in the house. Yeah. And, I would and never of course do there's the, there's the, oh, she's listening. She's always listening to you. Yeah. You're hearing everything. And, and like listening in to my wife and I talk or even fight and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's like, I, I know that I have nothing to hide. Well, so yeah. it's, it, it's fine. Actually, it's it works in my favor because if she ever says anything, if, if anything yeah. was to happen, right. <laughs> great, let's go to the tape. Yeah, you know, and you find out I I was nothing but delightful. Yeah, and you are you are absolutely oh, well, delightful. And you thank know, you. listen, I got I don't have anything to hide either, but I just, I just fundamentally, it's it's my personal life. It's it's my time away yeah. from everybody. I don't. I just don't want to know that somebody's listening to the conversation. But, but I. I I, I agree, and and in a perfect world, that would be that would be great. But the benefit of, like I, I'm thinking about, and I guess this isn't necessarily Big Brother, and is kind of a different debate. Yeah. But remember the Golden State Killer. Yes. And how they caught him. Yes. Oh, and, the DNA. Right. And there was kind of an argument about the DNA, and so for those that don't know, the the authorities had his DNA from this you know age old case, yeah, twenty five years ago yeah. or something, right? So they submitted it to one of these online ancestry DNA right. websites, right? And narrow it down to like they find a familiar like, third match. cousins right. of him. Right. So through that, it kind of narrows their focus to people living in the area during mm-hmm. that time. Fascinating. Yes. Unbelievable that they were able to do this and yes. narrow it down to this guy. They go to his house. They wait for him to throw out some trash with his DNA on it. Right. They they match the DNA. They literally catch the guy who murdered you know a bunch of people, raped a bunch of people, stole right. a bunch of stuff. Right. They're able to catch this guy that they otherwise never would have. Right. And. And so, like, I get the debate that's like, well, your DNA is not even safe anymore and whatever. It's like, you know what? If you're a good person and you don't plan on doing anything wrong, what do you have to worry about if we can catch the bad people using this stuff? Well, so, but here's the thing. Again, I I don't have a a mischievous mind when it comes to that. But what if you were over, you know, just at the local mall food court and you went to go get a hot dog and a soda and then you go and you throw your soda can away? And then some guy is knowingly going to kill somebody that night, grabs your cup, and leaves it there. Right? So now all of a sudden, now you're going to be a suspect to that. Right? Well, but but that, I mean, but that could, that I think brings up a different argument. You know, you'd still have to prove 
that the person with that soda can't actually, that's a pretty good idea as far as uh, the evolution of getting away with murder goes. Yeah. And, and you just, you take, DNA. you take DNA from other people. Frame other people. Yeah. I mean, it's and, actually interesting. So but all, that all I'm doesn't is, negate the argument. But, of, the, but the, but the argument is, is that the more data that you have, yeah. the more you're able to skew things how you want. And, and yeah, you're right. You are an honest person and, and you're not hiding your DNA. You're not, you know, doing things knowingly to get people off the scent, you know, but, yeah. But if that information is out there and then you can be framed or that that can be used in a bad way, you know, to negatively impact you in your life or, or whatever. It, like I said, I just yeah. I would prefer that that inf- information not be out there. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm going to a flip phone. Really? I, I'm swear. I swear I am. There's actually <laughs> multiple reasons. It's that. And it's also well, it's also the fact that when my daughters get of age to know really you know like use of cell phones and all that stuff I, i'm going to tell them i'm going to say listen you're going to get like a prepaid flip phone yeah because that's what dad has mine won't be prepaid but um it, you know dad's got a flip phone he doesn't have a smartphone like everybody else this is good enough for me i'm able to text mom i'm able to make a couple of phone calls and that's all you're going to be using it for you're still going to use a desktop or a laptop or, or something work. like that i don't though, right? i don't own a computer i have my work computer well, work's watching you, I'm sure. Yeah, but I don't surf stuff at work. You so know? you're just going to stop surfing yeah. stuff That's what at I, all. Honestly. Porn and everything. I don't surf porn. I don't know what you're watching. But <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm uh, messing with I don't, you. I don't spend a whole lot of time on the computer right now anyway or yeah. on my iPad or whatever. I mean, I'm at work. I'm dealing with the kids, showers, nighttime. I watch an episode or two of, of TV with my wife. And then, you know, like I said, I spend... 20 to 30 minutes before bed surfing stuff, you know, prepping for the podcast. But, um, you know, and I'll probably still do that with my iPad that I've got. But, I mean, outside of that, I'm not really searching a whole lot of stuff. I don't have a whole lot to hide. I just, you know, if I'm out and about, you know, when you you look stuff up online, they're just tracking. And I don't like it and I'm not going to do it. I'll tell you one technology that does make me nervous. And we're going long here. Sorry, Ben. That's fine. We're already at 43 uh, minutes. But... uh, I heard on a podcast the other day, Live and Die in L.A., I don't know if you've heard this. No. It, it's uh, about this girl who disappears and kind of, it, it takes place real time, the podcast does, of this investigation to find her. One of the technologies they talked about is apparently there's places where you can pay them and they will ping a cell phone, whether it's on or off, and can get the location of the cell phone. Yeah. And you can pay this place. It's not something that I mean. They're, I don't. They're probably hard to find, and you yeah. got to know somebody on the, you know, in the criminal underground or whatever to do it. But uh, it's probably not that difficult. Yeah. And so you could locate anyone. Yeah. That has their cell phone. That's yeah. a little scary. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it's like if you go missing. <laughs> yeah. I'd want somebody to be and, able to find. Yeah. You, you know? I mean, there's there's the benefits to it, yeah. and it's it's. I mean, I feel like that's a debate that's only going to grow as the technology gets gets greater. Is yeah. and you that's know, the challenge. Does the benefit parent. outweigh the 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 they, uncertainty of your civil? Yeah, and, and that's and that's the unfortunate. So one of the, one privacy. of the things that I'm so thankful for was that I was raised before this technology was was available. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there was a lot of things that I did that if someone had had a cell phone and recorded video and then got posted on Facebook. You know, somebody who didn't like me from high school that was my, like, ancillary friend could have, what do you call it, um, 
tagged my parents in the video and all of a sudden my parents see it school friends see it yeah you know like this stuff goes viral maybe not amongst the whole united states but i mean if you've got a, a fan a friend base in facebook yeah. 20 years ago of you know 500 or a thousand friends like yeah. everyone that you know is going to know what you're doing and if and that happens now it's like so what whatever but in your when you're a teenager and yes everything is the end of the world and it's amplified and, yeah and, oh my gosh yeah so, no, that's, so it's thankfully rough. i was raised before that became about and and i as best i can and it's funny because i have this argument with millennials that are in my office that i want to raise my children really as free of uh, of Instagram and Twitter and sure. and all this uh, these types of websites and just not allow them to go on there and of course then my friends are like well you kind of have to allow them because then they're going to be ostracized from their you know by their schoolmates and all that like yeah. there has to be something that you give them and and I and I know that there's going to be give and take and, and I won't know what we're going to do Steph and I until we get there yeah. but I do think that both of us Stephanie and I we we have the thought of we want our kids to not go on those things yeah. as much as possible. I mean, you hold out as long as you can, I feel yeah. like. is the. Is and the I think that the go. flip phone is, is, is really, at least in the beginning the beginning years. I mean, you know, I, I, I dated a girl that had two kids prior to being married. And her kids both got relative smartphones at like 10 and 13 years oh, old. Wow. Yeah, and, I feel like that's the age. Yeah, and 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 you look at the maturity level and the decision making of a ten and a thirteen year old, and it's just you can't trust that that age with yeah. with that much power in your hand. Yeah, and so you know one of the things that we're going to do is that yeah we're going to give them a prepaid cell phone and and when you are out we want you to be able to text us or call us let you know if you need anything or if you're in trouble, but we don't want to give them the ability to surf whatever they want on the internet, yeah. be able to download apps that they want. Because, of course, they're going to be a step ahead of us. Sure. I mean, I'll give you an example. Today, I was putting my daughter to sleep. And she says, hey, you know, Dad, can you leave the door open? And so I was like, yeah, no problem. So I walk out. And then I hear a noise. And so I walk back in. And she's actually crawling out of her crib. You know, Whoa. Because she wants to. Samantha? No, this was, this was Sydney. Oh. So she, because she wanted the ability to roam around and do what she wants, <laughs> I'm not around. <laughs> So, you know, even at this young age, they're manipulating yeah. you. And oh, so when, yeah. when they get a device that is able to touch the world and, and, and be able to talk to their friends at two in the morning and, you know, like those are the things that they're going to be doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I just know that at that age, I'd have been in trouble. Oh, yeah. Was she in trouble? I told her, I said, you get back in that crib. And, <laughs> and now I'm closing the door because I don't trust you. Oh, man. Yeah. You're a dad. Oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, man, that's karma. All right. We got we to gotta move this thing along. Let's do it. Good talk. I love it. Everything so far is great. Screw the rest of the guys that couldn't make it. Costa Rica. Yeah. They got a problem with alcohol. Yeah. Is it like 19 people dead? The, well, that's what the article said. And, and they're not the only country that's having this issue. I mean, I'm sure you've heard in the news that Dominican Republic has been another where yes. Americans go over and then yeah. they, they die on vacation. Yeah. What do you know about this? Just before I get into it, I know that much, pretty much. That's about it. So it's, it's a lot of these resorts and right. I didn't even know it was the alcohol. So so that's news. Well, to at me. first, yeah, at first they didn't know what it yeah, was. Yeah, they didn't know what. And then then there was thoughts that they were that these resorts were lacing their alcohol with antifreeze. Ooh. And but ultimately, I think what they've settled on, or at least the articles that I've read, is that. What's happening is 
the distillers. So it's 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 more hard alcohol. It's not the beer. Uh huh. But I know a little bit about distilling. Um, and so for those of you on the or you know, listening, if you know anything about distilling, when you distill an alcohol, so let's say you you uh, ferment a beer at five percent, okay, five percent alcohol. The way you distill it is you take that five percent liquor, you put it in a container, and then you heat it up. And so what happens is that as the temperature of the of the liquor goes up things start to steam off. Now, we all know that water boils at 212 degrees, but methanol and ethanol, which are components of alcohol, boil at a much uh, lower temperature. Okay. So you're able to bring the temperature up slowly, and I don't know what the exact numbers are, but let's say methanol is what burns off first, and let's say it's 158 degrees. So when the, temp- when the temperature of that li- uh, liquid comes up to 158 degrees, the vapor that starts coming off is methanol. And then if you have a worm or container where the steam goes up and then cools off, it, it condenses back to a liquor. And then that's how you would make like moonshine and, and whiskey gotcha. and all that. Well, so the first couple of degrees when you're distilling is methanol. And methanol is very dangerous. If you drink it, it can shut down organs. It can turn you blind. Ooh. And it's got a very off-putting smell. It, it, it just it tastes different if you just kind of put your finger in it and you taste it. Okay. It doesn't taste good. But it's got alcohol content. And so for most distillers, actually for all distillers, they should take that and throw it away. Okay. Because it's dangerous. And then once you start burning, say, two degrees more, it's 160 degrees. And again, I don't know the, the temperatures, but I think it's in around that range. Now you start getting, you start getting ethanol. And so you'll start burning that ethanol, and then that's, that's the good stuff. That's what you want to drink. Okay. And so what, I, what I've read is that some of these third... Uh, or maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not right here. I'm saying, but third world countries, the people that are distilling this to make a profit, they're taking those methanol products, and they're cutting it with water, and they're oh. putting it into the into the alcohol. So when you, when when Americans are drinking it in the large volumes that we do, it kills them. Wow. And so so it's happening in the Dominican Republic. It's happening in Costa Rica. We don't see this issue here but in the article one of the articles i read they said that there's been like over the last couple of years like a thousand deaths in india because wow. there's not a lot of regulation on the alcohol that's being served by these by these facilities we're here in the united states we don't hear about that stuff because we are regulated to death sure and so you know alcohol that comes into here that's being sold at costco at total wine ralph's wherever you buy your liquor it's very controlled we have we know where it's coming from we know the distillation processes you know, a lot of this has to be approved by the FDA, you know, to come in here. And so it's it's completely different than a lot of these uh, ancillary places. So my recommendation, I got a really good friend, actually, that's going to Dominican Republic. She made these uh, plans months and months ago before all this stuff came about. And she's super nervous. I just I told her, I said, don't drink any hard liquor. If you're going to drink, stick to beer. Yeah. You know, and, but unfortunately, I, I don't think that liquor is the only thing that's actually causing people to die. I, I think they're lacing shit with sodas or whatever. But personally it's if in, i is it intentional or it's not intentional right well it's intentional but they want to make money and but so it, if but they're, they're not trying to kill out, people well right? i mean i don't think anybody's out to kill people but i mean if you think a lot just, of people are out to if kill you people. think about fentanyl, state killers now now fentanyl is not a liquor it's 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 a, a synthetic drug that mimics the effects of morphine and 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 some of these really uh really hard uh drugs mm-hmm 
for people who had prescriptions to like Oxycontin and to those types of opioids who now all of a sudden lost their supply, they go online and they find that this fentanyl will actually uh, serve the same sort of huh. result. Okay. But what happens is, is that it's not controlled. And so what will end up happening is there's a specific way in which pills are made or should be made. And that is that you get a mixture of all of the different powder products that go into a pill and it goes into a, a mixer which essentially validates that every small portion that's taken out of this mixture is going to be exactly the same. Okay. But if you're making it and you're not being exact, sure. then some pills are going to have a little less fentanyl and some are going to have a little bit more. So for the end user who's using the drug, they they just think that they're going to get a high because it's going to be matched or it's going to be mixed right. the same way. Yeah. And some some will be and others won't. So, you know, can you say that those people are trying to go out and kill people no they're trying to just make money they want to yeah. sell pills so the they're doing way. they're doing the best they can yeah but they're actually killing people so I, I think it's going to be the same thing with the alcohol is that maybe these these people that are making it just don't know you know yeah so probably they, I, just, I i can't imagine that as a human being you're going to actively go out and try to kill other people yeah. you're just you're just trying to make money you want to you want to put food on the table you want to send your kid to college you want to retire like yeah. i mean that's that's i'm sure what their motivation is and you know what what's out of out of sight out of mind is that whatever happens after the fact it's not on me yeah. you know and and they're able to disassociate that's the only thing that i can no, think we need of. big brother down there watching their porn we, so that we can that's see right. if they're shady or not that's right so if you go down to costa rica or dominican drink beer all right let me ask you this last question you got a vacation plan to costa rica yes you're down there with your uh with all your friends family yeah the plan is to go down party have a good old time this news comes out do you drink Oh, man. Do you go um, a vacation without drinking or partying? Well, no, no. So there's a couple things you can do. If you know ahead of time that you're going and, and the ticket reservations have already been confirmed, you've already paid, I would just put a couple of bottles of U.S. liquor in my luggage don't, and take it don't, down. Don't sidestep the question. The question is, would you drink if you're down there? Say you're already down there right. and this news breaks. No, I would not. You stop drinking? For the same reason that if I was single and I went to a brothel, I uh -huh. wouldn't hook up you know, with a chick because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, like my life, I listen, I love my life. I'm very happy in my life and I don't want to lose my life because of a bad decision. And, and, and no life to me is worth a night of going out and drinking and having a good time or having sex with, with a, with a sex worker that's got HIV. Like it's just not for me. <laughs> See, I would, I, I wouldn't drink any of the like local labels, but if they had, if they had American brands or, or some brand that you know is regulated. Well, so here's the thing. I what if what if mm -hmm. they have a bottle of Jack Daniels there uh -huh. and they run out and it costs $30 to replace a bottle of Jack Daniels because, you know, they're from a different country. It's like $19 here, but yeah. let's say it's $30 over there. Or they can get Paco over there, you know, from, from, the, back, from the backwoods. Ben can say that because he's Mexican. Right. To, to make his Although own. Although we're in. To make his own Not version, Mexico. and then refill the the bottle Close of Jack enough. Daniels in the bar. Yeah, because they don't have the regulation to validate that that can't happen. So no, you know I, I don't trust it. I I I have an unnatural uh, trust in people. Trust not not necessarily trust in people, but I I never broke a bone. I've never really been sick. I have a 
you know how a kid will jump off the couch or, you know, jump off of high things until they actually hurt fall themselves. and hurt themselves. Yes. And then they'll, you know, they'll learn from it. And I never did that. And so I don't have that fear. I eat pizza out of the trash can. Ask uh, Jason Gallo. <laughs> I will eat anything. I'll, I'll put anything because I have this unnatural uh, confidence that, that your body I'm going to be it. fine. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I would drink. I wouldn't. I'd say, you know what, the, the 19 in, you know, what, 200,000 chance or whatever that yeah. I'm going to die from, you know, because in you're your not example. Lucky, you're not lucky enough to win the lottery and you're not lucky enough, or you're not, that's uh, right. not unlucky enough exactly. to die. No, I, exactly. I get that. I get that theory. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you. I think that, and this goes to show you how, and I don't know if it's the frontal cortex of the brain or whatever, but, you know, there's studies out there that tell you or that, that say that you don't actually become a full adult. You don't start processing. Your mind doesn't process like a full adult till you hit like your late 20s, early 30s. And that you make decisions in earlier in life, you know, where, you know, like, yes, you're 21, 22 yeah. years old, you're quote unquote an adult, but your mind still doesn't think that way. I think that if you were to have asked me that question at 22, I would have yeah. the same response that you Maybe did. Maybe even before you had kids. I feel like when you have kids, you make even more responsible decisions. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, that absolutely that has could, something to do with it. it but but I, I do think that even before I, I met Stephanie, I think at 36, 35, 36, I think my answer at that age versus today would still be the same. Yeah. I, I think it's just worldly experience and, and knowing that those party years are behind me. I don't value them the way that I used to. So, yeah, I, to be quite honest with you, I truthfully, truthfully feel like I could go the rest of my life, never have another beer, another glass of whiskey, and be totally content. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Really? I, listen, I, I enjoy the taste. I love it. But if, if a doctor came to me and said, hey, listen, you know, you've got thin blood or whatever, whatever yeah. the, the thing yeah. was, and he says, I need for you to stop drinking. If you don't stop drinking, you're going to lose your life. I'd say, okay, done. I think I think No I big deal. I, I, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Yeah. I think I'd be if 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 that if it came to me in that form, I I think I could do it. But not to not to downplay that. All right, Ben. Yeah, we hit an hour. Ah, Sorry, you buddy. knew we were going. That to. half hour was out. Four the subjects. Yeah. You knew it was bound to happen. I said three sentences this entire show. You did a great job. Thank you. Congrats. The uh, the Ben and Jeff show. Follow us on Twitter at Ben and Jeff Pod. Uh, so, nope, that's not right. At Guys and Shorts Pod. <laughs> We're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, all of those. Leave a voicemail for us, 562-450-3356. As always, please give us a review, five stars, wherever you're listening. We sure would appreciate it. Subscribe to us and uh, spread the word. Share the show with all your friends. We are three outs away from the Angels sweeping the Dodgers this season, uh, which is very exciting. Um Ah, it's it's just a it's those little victories, you know. Yeah. You gotta. You're welcome. When you're an Angel fan, you gotta enjoy them. For Ben Garcia, I'm Jeff Wilson. See you guys next week. Go Angels!